Welcome to St Martin the Fields and welcome to great sacred music. Everybody knows that at the 11th hour on uh, the 11th day of the 11th month at Compiègne in France, uh, the armistice came into effect, having been signed at 5.45 a.m. the same day. What history records, but we prefer not to remember, is that the shelling went on till the end of the day. The armistice uh, initially expired after a period of 36 days and had to be extended several times before a formal peace agreement was reached at the Treaty of Versailles on the 28th of June 1919. And that worked out really well. We, it's our tradition at uh, Great Sacred Music uh, to begin with a hymn and we're going to begin our remembrance uh, and uh, observance of the 11th of November today by singing O oh God our help in ages past. Isaac Watts as you may know wrote hymns for pretty much every single one of the 150 psalms and some of them are remembered better than others. This one probably best of all. Uh, psalm 90 marking the frailty of the human condition and the majesty of God, sung often uh, at remembrance time because of the, the line that tell, talks about time like an ever-rolling stream, rolling all its sons, or we would say today, children away. The tune, interestingly, uh, is named St. Anne, of course, that could be any St. Anne, but it's actually named after St. Anne Soho, our neighbor church, just 10 minutes walk in that direction. Uh, the composer who was the organist at Westminster Abbey had previously worked at St. Anne's and brought very fond memories uh, to the composition. So we remain seated. The voices will stand and lead us as we sing, O oh God, our help in ages past.
One uh, anthem that's very much associated with the First World War is John Ireland's Greater Love Hath No Man. The big reveal about this anthem is it was actually written before the First World War. It was written in 1912 when John Ireland was organist at St Luke's Chelsea, just up the road. John Ireland was born in Altrincham, went to the Royal College of Music, where he studied under Stanford. The great question posed by this wonderful anthem is uh, in the lines from Song of Songs, is love stronger than death? Love is strong and death, says uh, the eighth chapter. I think the second verse of, uh, of Song of Songs. Ireland's music, his, uh, the way he's placed the different verses of scripture around one another in this anthem gives a clear and confident yes to that question, that love is stronger than death. And you could say that, that those five words, love is stronger than death, are pretty much the message of the whole Bible. You get the whole Bible in just five words at the beginning of Song of Songs, chapter 8, uh, and never more stirringly presented than here in Ireland's uh, anthem. We're uh, now going to enjoy the voices uh, singing it for us.
We're now going to hear settings of two poems uh, representing the contrasting emotions of the First World War. Uh, one written at the very <coughs> beginning of the war in 1914, one written pretty much around the time of the armistice in 1918. The first one by Rupert Brooke. Rupert Brooke is an extraordinary, complex and ambivalent figure. He was educated at rugby school in King's College, Cambridge, but he was a socialist. He was an intrepid traveler. He traveled to Honolulu, Samoa, Fiji, New Zealand, and Tahiti. Remember, he, he died when he was only still in his 20s. He was an intrepid traveler, but he was mentally fragile. He served in the Royal Navy, and yet when he talks in this poem of imagining his death, he talks about the corner of a foreign field, not very watery at all, uh, and conjures up this picture of England's eternal ownership of a small portion of land on which he died. He was a person of ecstatic enthusiasm and suicidal doubt. Uh, he speaks of the glory of war, but he in fact died of acute blood poisoning following a mos mosquito bite on board ship on his way to Gallipoli and was buried on the Greek island of Skyros. I guess one final uh, paradox is that this is remembered as a... Um, as a, almost embarrassing in some, some quarters, uh, clarion cry for the glories of war. Uh, and yet it's, it doesn't uh, speak in conventional triumphalist language. He talks about England's sights and sounds, dreams happy as her day, and laughter learned to friends, and gentleness. Not, not really the gung-ho spirit and with which the poem is often remembered. Uh, and then we're going to take, a, a, an, again, a contrasting piece from Siegfried Sassoon from the, uh, pretty much the, the date of the signing of the Armistice Treaty. Uh, Everyone sang, which ca captures the elation and the freedom uh, that both soldiers and civilians must have felt. If you imagine what uh, it'll be like when St. Boris finally says that the pandemic is over and that sense of relief because of course we trust every word that he shares with us. Uh, just imagine how much greater the relief must have been on the 11th of November uh, 1918 and yet that was a victory but given the cost of that victory it was perhaps only just worth it and uh, what we get in the final line of this poem, the singing will never be done, and, that sent, uh, and, and the singing that is unaccompanied. Uh, it's a very paradoxical form of celebration, a very inhibited form of celebration. So two poems that in their different ways uh, capture the contrasting uh, emotions of the First World War.
Well, it's time for us all to sing again now, and we're going to sing Eternal Father, Strong to Save. William Whiting was inspired by the dangers of the sea described in Psalm 107 and his own experience of sailing. He wrote his famous hymn, Eternal Father, to encourage a young seaman scared of sailing. Can you imagine that? You get a phone call from maybe your uh, godson or your nephew saying, I don't want to go out on the ship tomorrow, and what do you do? You write a hymn. Of course, obviously, the obvious reaction. The hymn has a long association with the Royal Navy and is sung at Sunday Eucharist at the old Royal Naval College Chapel uh, in Greenwich, probably more often than anyone would really wish. It was sung on August the 9th, 1941, at a service aboard, uh, aboard the Royal Navy battleship HMS Prince of Wales, attended by Winston Churchill and Franklin D. Roosevelt at the conference creating the Atlantic Charter. The tune Melita, named after Malta. Why Malta? Because that was where Paul was shipwrecked. We remain seated, the voices stand and lead us. Eternal Father, strong to save.
well, we're coming towards the end of uh, great sacred music for this Thursday. Um, the exciting news is that there are now four ways to give if you want to donate to St. Martin's to enable this great tradition to continue. Uh, not all of them available to those online. Some special treats available for those in the building. Uh, you can text, uh, whether at, at, at here or at home. You can uh, go on the website. Uh, you can, uh, let me get this right, you can tap your, your card on, a, on a, a fancy card machine. I don't think it's called a fancy card machine, but it's called, you know, you can tap. Uh, and you can now give... Uh, give currency, sterling, uh, notes in, in, a, in a bucket as you leave. Isn't that exciting? We've now reintroduced that. Uh, breaking news. So lots of different ways. And, and just to inspire you as you think about that, um, our, our next piece is, uh, is, is a composition composed, I think, three or four years ago by Nils Greenhow, who was, for a year or two, our choral conducting fellow here at St. Martin's, and before that was a member of St. Martin's Voices, so, uh, and is now uh, composing music for the good people of Denmark. So the good news for the Voices is you may end up in Denmark. Um, but the good news for St. Martin's and for all who love the music here is, is to be inspired that as we started uh, this morning with uh, sorry, well, I suppose it's this afternoon, isn't it? Was we started this afternoon uh, with For the Fallen, uh, the traditional guest setting. Uh, we're finishing with a, a modern composition of the same place, just to show how our musical tradition is alive and creative uh, and vibrant here at St. Martin's, in spite of the, the rigors of the, the pandemic. Now, uh, I should also say we have a special Great, great Sacred Choral Classics tonight for Remembrance at six o'clock. So those of you who are still going to be in London at that time do join us. And again, it's going to be online for those of you who are able to join us virtually. Um, so a few, a few, a few comments about uh, this the piece for the fallen. A much like I think I'm probably becoming a broken record today. Pretty much all the pieces we've sung today are much misunderstood or misremembered. For the fallen, well. On the 23rd of August, uh, 1914, in Britain's opening action of World War I on the Western Front, the British Expeditionary Force was defeated at the Battle of Mons. For the Fallen was specifically composed by Lawrence Binion, uh, who lived from 1869 to 1943, so he, he went across both world wars, uh, in honor of the casualties of the British Expeditionary Force. He composed the original poem while sitting on the cliffs between Pentire Point and the Rumps, in North Cornwall. In fact, there's a, there's a special stone there uh, in his memory. It's, um, I think it's seven stanzas in the poem, but we only ever remember, uh, I think it's the third or possibly the fourth stanza, they shall grow not old. Of course, you always get brownie points for pointing out to other people it's not they shall not grow old, it's they shall grow not old. It's very important to remember the correct wording, or it's for some people. Uh, it was first published in the Times in September 1914. Uh, the remarkable thing about it is that its tone is much more in keeping with the poetry composed in 1918 than in 1914. There's nothing gung-ho about it. Um, Binion's biographer rather interestingly said in a telling phrase, 
by 1918, it was an infinitely better poem than it had been in 1914. Thanks for joining us. <laughs>